0: Coming to you from the Dietitians and Nutrition Support Dietetic Practice Group, this is the DNS member podcast where we explore topics relevant to our field. From support line content to nutrition celebrity interviews and everything in between, this podcast is where DNS members can go behind the scenes and explore the driving forces behind cutting-edge nutrition support. I'm your host, Christina Rollins. Let's get started. and thank you for listening to the DNS podcast. Today we will be discussing current practices in the diagnosis and treatment of adult malnutrition with registered dietitian Prasanna Navarasam. Prasanna brings to the table several years of varied professional experiences spanning across acute care, long-term acute care, clinical nutrition management, and diabetes. She earned her master's and postgraduate specialization in food and nutrition from Women's Christian College in India and is also a proud alumna of Framington State University, where she completed her coordinated program in dietetics. Her recent accomplishments include completing the DNS advanced practice residency in nutrition support at the Cleveland Clinic. Prasana is also a certified nutrition support clinician working at Metro West Medical Center located near Boston, Massachusetts, and is passionate about using the gut, critical care nutrition, and the accurate diagnosis and documentation of malnutrition. She is also passionate about diversity initiatives and giving back to the community, and she recently joined the DNS Diversity and Inclusion Committee, where she is working with members such as yourself, to advance food and nutrition research, policy, and practice. When not in the CCU, she loves to travel and spend time with her son and her Jack Russell. Her pet peeves include MPO status greater than five days, low albumin consults, and the inappropriate use of parenteral nutrition. Prasanna, thank you for joining the DNS podcast.
1: Thank you, Christina, for giving me this opportunity
0: tell us about yourself and specifically your interest in malnutrition.
1: I've been a registered dietitian now for almost close to uh, 15 years. Um, And uh, nutrition support is my uh, true passion. Uh, Once I stepped into the critical care world, uh, there was no looking back. I got the proverbial ICU nutrition support bug. Um, So I've been uh, doing this for a while now. Uh, My interest in malnutrition actually started uh, with my stint at the LTAC units because I feel like that's where you really get to see the full spectrum uh, of what nutrition can do and also what the lack of nutrition uh, can do as well. Um, I remember being at um, a a team meeting and I was uh, explaining um, to the team all the things we were doing in terms of electrolyte repletion, the time and and all the details. And then the case manager pointed out uh, that none of that was actually reflected in the medical progress note. So that sparked my interest. Um, And I was like, here's something that greatly uh, impacts the outcomes. Um, But yet we are not giving uh, enough attention. Uh, So from then on, um, I I took on this um, task of bringing attention to accurate diagnosis and documentation and treatment of uh, malnutrition. And that's kind of how I got started.
0: So I recently had the opportunity to view some of your malnutrition research at the Aspen Nutrition Science and Practice Conference, where you reported results of a local survey to better understand the perceived barriers to diagnosing and treating adult malnutrition. So tell us, if you will, how did you go about launching this survey? And then what did you learn in the process?
1: So this was actually a qi project that i undertook as a part of the advanced practice residency program in nutrition support that's actually organized by our own dns uh, group and i did it out of uh, cleveland clinic as you mentioned under andrea jevin I, I highly recommend the program if anyone has the time i think this would be a great program the topic that uh, we picked was current practices and diagnosis and treatment of malnutrition in an acute care setting. Uh, Initially, I was thinking I wanted to do something uh, to see if there was a need for more of a communication tool between uh, the medical team and the dietitians. And then the program coordinator uh, was, um, uh, she said, but what's the baseline? We need to figure out where they're at before we can go ahead and do things to uh, fix the problem. Um, so I undertook this QI project. I had two uh, mentors helping me out as well, um, Ms. Um, Sarah Peterson from the uh, uh, Rush uh, University Medical Center, and also my own on-site mentor, Dr. Markowitz, who's a pulmonary um, intensivist. So uh, we all kind of know that you know malnutrition is kind of underdiagnosed, undiagnosed, misdiagnosed. Um, so we wanted to see. Uh, what exactly are the barriers that the doctors or the medical team is actually facing on the other side, which is kind of preventing them from getting to the accurate um, diagnosis. So with this in mind, we created the uh, malnutrition questionnaire with about 14 questions, uh, pretty much revolving around uh, perceived barriers. from the healthcare um, provider's um, standpoint. We also included a part B, uh, about six questions, which were basically more like um, case studies, and they were supposed to read that and then provide the medical diagnosis for malnutrition. We also included um, uh, some of the demographic details. So we just looked into uh, three, that is um, their current role, the years of experience and the amount of um, nutrition education that they have had. So um, I think that the timing that we picked was kind of uh, interesting, uh, given that for a questionnaire, we nobody anticipated the pandemic. And so uh, I did this kind of during the June and July of 2020, right after the, uh, the first wave of the pandemic hit so if i ever doubted my healthcare providers weren't interested in nutrition those doubts are now long gone because i still had about uh, 38 uh, healthcare providers who took time out of what can only be described as like the pandemic chaos to actually fill out this questionnaire and get back to me so that was uh, in itself an interesting um, experience um so the, the the findings um i have to say uh was pretty much in line with uh, most of the other research that had uh, come out about 40 percent of them ranked their ability in diagnosing malnutrition as being average What we found was the degree of malnutrition um the documentation of the degree of malnutrition is where we needed to kind of focus on because um Uh, 50% of them said um, they were documented sometimes. Um, 21% said they rarely documented the degree of malnutrition. Um, And then documenting malnutrition in the discharge summary was again um, a problem. Um, Only 5% of them actually said that they did it always. Uh, So those would be areas that uh, we need to be working on. In terms of uh, perceived barriers uh, in in using the Aspen criteria, 24% of them said they were not uh, familiar with the Aspen uh, criteria for malnutrition. And again, here we are. um, Sometimes, you know, we think, are we discussing this too much? And then you find out that this has to be an ongoing process. 15% uh, said uh, it was difficult to remain updated on all these, you know, newer guidelines coming up, um, which, you know, even in passing conversations we hear, right? Like, you know, people say, you know, first we were using albumin, then there was prealbumin and, and, you know, now we are not sure what we are using. Um, that's kind of what, uh, the, uh, the medical team usually, um, uh, says. Um, 16% of them found that it required further calculations, um, for example, the weight uh, loss interpretations. And so uh, that could be time-consuming and they found that to be a a barrier. But 100% of the respondents agreed that an interdisciplinary uh, malnutrition communication tool can actually help improve um, accurate, uh, diagnosis. Um, so in terms of the demographics, um, again, when we looked at the amount of nutrition education, uh, that the healthcare providers received, um, again, we are all familiar with these, um, um, uh, details, uh, 32% of them, um, said that they had limited exposure to, uh, nutrition education and 34% of them said they've had a few classes uh, during their postgraduate um, study. Um, So um, I guess the lesson to be learned is we do need more uh, collaboration between um, the medical team and uh, dietitians um, and also constant education. Um, uh, And when we looked specifically at the part B um um, where they had to use the case studies um three percent of the respondents were able to respond to all of those case scenarios um accurately um so um again there's work to be done um uh, but we found um and this the analysis on the basis of demographics i i have to say Ms. sarah peterson um, really wanted to add that on, and um, it, it was very interesting finding. Um, so the staff physicians were actually significantly um, more likely to correctly identify um, malnutrition um, when compared to all of the others: the uh, residents, uh, nurse practitioners, um, um, uh, and I. Uh, so th- that was one finding that I found was interesting, and then also we found that uh, healthcare uh, the uh, providers who had a nutrition who had taken a nutrition related course, um, the 32% of them, or um, the ones some of them had actually trained with the registered dietitian, um, uh, about 16% of them. Uh, so they were actually more likely to correctly identify the A and the Aspen criteria for malnutrition. Uh, that piece was uh, some of the interesting findings from
0: this study. So I think it's interesting that you point out about the, the staff physicians being more likely to co- correctly identify the malnutrition criteria versus you know, other practitioners like the residents or the NPs or the PAs. So why do you think that separation existed in the study?
1: Um, I think since it's a teaching hospital, um, uh, the staff physicians actually probably have more exposure uh, to uh, the information as such. Um, and more interactions uh, with the dietitians, just from um, like the experience um, point of view. A- and also um, we do uh, like these um, mini presentations, like in the CCU, uh, for example, instead of doing like the bigger grand rounds, um, uh, the longer presentations for which sometimes um, there's no time Uh, These mini presentations were more like just very quick, three to uh, five slides, about uh, three to five minute long discussions that we have during rounds. So I think um, staff physicians, just by the virtue of repetition, uh, obviously the experience counts and also exposure um, uh, seem to get the ASPEN criteria um, down better than uh, the other um,
0: providers. And what happens in the situations where the provider actually incorrectly identifies the diagnostic criteria? Do we have impacts to patient care, billing and coding, or, you know, other other areas that relate to the patient?
1: So that that's a great question, uh, you know, talking about incorrectly identifying, uh, we are practically totally missing uh, the diagnosis. Uh, um, I think um, uh, when I was doing the literature study, uh, some of the research that had come out uh, in uh, 2010, they said fewer than 7% of uh, the people uh, or the patients who actually have malnutrition are being identified. I think the numbers uh, probably are a little bit better now. Uh, But still, um, uh, talk about missing a major MCC, uh, clinical comorbidity. So if we actually think about it, like think about like a UTI or a pneumonia being missed, you know, 95% of the time, that would be totally unacceptable. However, like in the malnutrition realm, we're still missing um, quite a few of these uh, diagnoses. Um, So, um, so I think that we definitely need to make big improvements in that area. Um, So I kind of like the new uh, malnutrition awareness uh, week, you know, they're taking this angle of nutrition as a human, right? Um, So I think we need to take more onus on who's going to, so when a patient passes through uh, our care, we need to be more cognizant of uh, the effects of uh, nutrition the the existing malnutrition and um, you know uh, nutrition in critical care so that uh, we are uh, you know taking care of these patients with malnutrition and then passing along that information to the next level of care as well so that the treatment is continued so talking about inaccurate a diagnosis. Is. So obviously the, the chance of, for example, if a severe malnutrition is missed and they're just documenting it as more of a moderate malnutrition or sometimes wrongly as mild malnutrition, um, the patient may not get the treatment or the aggressiveness of the treatment that they would have actually gotten. Um, and then there's also the um, uh the audits from the office um uh, the oig uh which uh, recently came out and they said that you know hospitals have been billing medicare and they are kind of auditing all of these and they found that the overpayments were um probably closer to uh, more than billion. a billion dollars that's billion with a b so they and and they're going to actually try to uh, recover these payments that were made so Think about all the uh, the hassles of going through an audit where being questioned about uh, like a severe malnutrition documentation. Um, so I think if we are more uh, proactive and make, take the appropriate steps of accurately diagnosing it, it will be much less of a uh, hassle for us and better for the patient.
0: I thought it was encouraging earlier that you said that you found that providers who were trained by a dietitian are more likely to, you know, accurately engage with the malnutrition criteria. So what advice would you give dietitians who work at teaching facilities but are maybe not actually involved in the provider training?
1: At a teaching hospital, I think sometimes it's a it's a little bit that that educational aspect is kind of almost expected. Uh, And so it's a little bit easier, but um, I would say build that bridge. If if it does not exist, uh, we need to be um, meeting them where they are and building uh, these bridges. So any which way in which you can get involved. We actually um, had some of the residents who were really interested in um, uh, nutrition take a few sessions with us and I can actually uh, see some of those residents in practice now, uh, you know, paying attention to the electrolytes, thinking about that time in repletion, and it's a very proud moment because you know that you've passed on the torch and you know now any um, scenario where they're leading the team they're going to be looking at um, those details. Um, I think another venue where the dietitians can also get involved is, um, you know, uh, anywhere where Changes are being made to the EMR, you know, could be set up reminders uh, for the doctors. Because a lot of times it's not that there is a disagreement, um, it's more um, time constraints or them not being able to document appropriately because of other things that are going on. So, any which way that we can get involved in that educational process. I think will be beneficial for both the medical team and the dietitian.
0: And I think the training of, you know, new physicians, it happens both inside that classroom setting or that small group setting, but there's also a lot of teaching opportunities during interdisciplinary rounding or when you have those phone calls or those hallway or unit conversations where you're talking about a specific patient and you're making recommendations. So taking a few extra minutes to explain why you're making that recommendation versus just saying, hey, I think we need to do this, can I have an order, then that also helps strengthen the physician competency, you know, as they move forward.
1: That's an excellent point. And like I said, um, you know, they don't have that time for the, you know, longer sit down Uh, presentations, but these uh, quick interactions can be converted into educational opportunities.
0: So switching gears, I love that you list your professional pet peeves in your bio. So what's your approach when you come across one of these situations where a patient isn't being fed appropriately? Or maybe they're being fed, but for lots of reasons other than nutrition, they've got a low albumin and you've now been asked to intervene. How do you handle
1: that? So this actually reminds me of an incident that happened a while back. So there was a regional medical director, and he was actually interviewing our um, intensivist. And so he, he asked, uh, so what happens on NPO day five? Uh, and uh, so the intensivist said, well, Prasanna comes around and twists around arm and that patient. So I said, I told him, uh, you know, that's the best compliment that I have received. So I feel like consistency um, is the key. Uh, So, to all those dietitians who are, you know, doubting themselves on a Friday afternoon to say, you know, do I send this text or maybe it won't matter, Um, I I say send it Um, because change will happen, but it will be slow. You know, we did get over to using the NG tubes, we did cut back on um, using uh, PPN. Um, we are paying more attention to electrolytes, um, you know, time in repletion and other uh, uh, minor details that need to get done. So uh, we have to consistently uh, be reminding them and every instance as to what, what the right medical nutrition therapy guidelines are, and how we can navigate towards that. I think um, in some of the scenarios, I also try to understand where uh, they are coming from as to what their viewpoint is, because I feel like sometimes that helps um, build that bridge. Uh, For example, I was uh, um, recently talking about you know, how we are creating like these ICU survivors, like survivors with weight loss, muscle loss, wounds. Uh, and then the intensivist just quipped And he said, better than dead, right? Like, so uh, it gave me a glimpse into what his viewpoint was. So here he is, um, you know, working with this patient for like 20 days. And he has made them survive or get out of this alive, but that's kind of his uh, viewpoint. So now I try to, um, when I uh, bring the message, I say, yes, that was mission successful, the patient is surviving, but could we do this, this and this to kind of improve that outcome and um, quality of life for the patient, uh, you know, after he survives this. So sometimes some of those uh, conversations Um, looking at it from a different viewpoint helps to kind of um, um, get through Um, because in subsequent conversations and education uh, points, um, the same intensivist actually uh, mentioned uh, uh, what we had talked about saying that we are not only, um, you know, just making the patient survive, we actually have to Uh, do all of the appropriate interventions so that the outcomes are
0: better. So now that you've finished the DNS Advanced Practice Residency and you've presented this research at Aspen, what's next?
1: Um, The the APR program and um, uh, uh, the the poster presentation itself, uh, they have opened a lot of doors for me. Um, and more importantly, I think they've helped break barriers that existed in my own mind, um, because for uh, for clinical dietitians um especially in a mid-level institution it can be daunting to think of research putting aside time uh, you know effort um sometimes the funding may not be there um, but now i know that it is possible and uh, you know you 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 would have to think of probably creative ways um you know if it can be done during a pandemic i suppose it can be done um, at other times so Um, I'm going to be looking for more opportunities to be involved in uh, clinical research. Um, um, I'm going to be working a little bit more with the support line. Um, And then the other um, efforts that I'm passionate about, like you mentioned in my uh, bio, uh, is being part of the uh, DNS diversity and inclusion um, committee. and um, thank you, Christina, for that effort. I think we, we can bring a lot to the table in terms of diversity, uh, equity, and inclusion in the world of uh, nutrition and dietetics. Um, so I think those would be two things that I would be focused on.
0: Well, there's a lot of work to be done in that area, so I'm super excited to have you on the committee. It's going to be a great year.
1: I definitely think so. And uh, this podcast, um, again, is a great platform for, like, exchanging ideas, showcasing some of our findings um, and thoughts.
0: Absolutely. Well, with that, we will conclude today's episode. Thank you, Prasanna, for being a guest on the podcast and your willingness to serve on the DNS leadership team.
1: Thank you, Christina, again for the opportunity
0: listeners to learn more about diagnosing and treating adult malnutrition, please visit our website at dnsdpg.org and search support line. Until next time, I'm Christina Rollins. Thanks for listening.